For full transcripts, translations, content notes, and resources from this episode, follow along with us on our show notes at queensmemory.org. This is the Queen's Memory Podcast, a selection of personal histories from the borough of Queens in New York City. This podcast comes to you from the Queen's Memory Project, based in Jamaica, Queens, at the Queen's Central Library. I'm Natalie Milbrook, Director of Queen's Memory, where we record and preserve contemporary history across the borough. We grow our archives by collecting oral histories, photos, and mementos shared with us by community members. Local volunteers who train with Queen's Memory staff facilitate and record our oral history interviews. We feature oral histories from our archives so we can reflect on and engage with the histories we listen to and tell one another. How do we carry each other's stories? What shapes our personal and family histories? How did we get to the neighborhoods where we live? And where are we in relation to each other's histories? As part of New York City, Queens has long been a point of entry to the United States. Thinking about the borough in this way, we searched through our archives to gather stories of migration for this first season of the Queen's Memory Podcast. These stories cross continents and move through decades of the past century. We share these oral histories to reflect on the histories of this borough, of this country, and of ourselves. My parents kept a lot of the traditions, especially St. Joseph's Day. On Diwali, we set up the temple in our own house. My children all took Irish dancing. In a way, I grew up not having any traditions. Picking a cake, the flower in Haiti is different from the American flower. We actually watch videotapes, listening to my father tell stories about something that sparks his memory from his mother or his grandmother. For this seventh episode, we're tracing traditions. As part of our oral history workshops, we suggest volunteer interviewers ask about family traditions, both in daily life and for special occasions. Listening through our archives, we began to think of ways that traditions travel between people, through places, and over time. While we listen, we can think about the histories and circumstances that shape how we carry what is passed down to us. Let's listen. We'll hear first from Antonina Cucciara and Shiveta Gupta, who tell stories of holiday traditions and celebrations. Between family members, neighborhoods, and work schedules, how do traditions transform in different times, places, and circumstances? Let's listen closer. I want to say that my family, my parents, kept a lot of the traditions Mm -hmm. the same, especially uh, St. Joseph's Day. 
my parents in Italy used to make a whole table of food and invite the family and dress three children as Mary, St. Joseph, Mary, and, and, and uh, Jesus. And they would address them from Etzutol, any poor families, you know, people donate food, they give it to them. So when they were here, when we came here, we kept that tradition. My father used to do it always. Uh, uh, my mother cooks all the food, invite people, have the priest come. So he wanted to keep that tradition, as, and he kept it as long as he could, they could have done it. Just to be uh, the, that sense of being uh, with the Italians and being like a feeling back in Italy the way they felt. And it's always give and give because St. Joseph is a giver uh, and a maker, you know, a family guy, a family man. And my father always was for the poor, giving, giving, giving. And he kept that tradition and he, and he always loved it. And then I started that tradition in school. Uh, when you know, when I went, uh, when I was teaching, I did uh, Saint Joseph bread for the children in school. Given that you were in an Italian neighborhood, do you feel that the Italians in your neighborhood shaped their neighborhood? Like, did, was there festivals that they created did, yes. that are still maybe ongoing, or still an element that is part of where you live or the communities where you live? Yes, there's still festivals, there's mm -hmm. still street fairs that we, 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 we gather and we go. Mm -hmm. And more like now, you know, they minimize it now okay. because people move on or mm -hmm. they move out of the area. But there's some like in Brooklyn. And, you know, we, I like to go and I still do like to go to those places because it makes me think of where I came from, mm -hmm. you know. So how do you and your kids celebrate like holidays, like Diwali and stuff? Do you go to the like, temple? We go to temple, yes. We try to go like, uh, but you know, sometimes if my husband is busy, it's hard because you know, especially those days I like to dress up in my Indian clothes. So on Diwali, we, we set up the temple in our own house, like whatever temple we have, the small one, we just that bring that temple in the like living room or wherever you have place, like in a big place. So we can decorate too, but we don't have like that much place in the house. So we try to put in the same room where we I have the small temple, but we put in that floor with the nice papers or sheet because you know it's dangerous too because of the fire thing. So we uh, place all the you know statues and everything. We clean them that day and we light diyas and we have sweets for that day. We worship and little bit prayer we do and then we give sweets to all the kids. And then we go to temple because, you know, that dia we, we lit in every corner of the house and we have to go to temple too to lit that dia. But sometimes it's not possible here because sometimes it's too cold and sometimes my husband is not available and whatever reason. So we try to go, um, look, what you say, like possible, <laughs> if it's possible, we try to go. Otherwise, we go next day. One of our biggest festivals, maybe, you know, Karvacho, this is the fast for the husband. That, that is our biggest festival for us here because at least that festival, we do something about it, right? Because we fast for that day and I dress up like, you know, all my jewelry and everything. So that is the day we do dress up and I told my husband already, you have to take the day off or whatever time, like you have to come home early at least, right? So that day we celebrate kids know too that is a fast when mom has to fast. They don't know that much like what is fast for, but they know it is some kind of fast, right? We we saw the moon, right? And then we offer whatever, and when we touch the husband's feet and we eat, right? So that is a good uh, thing that kids knows about, but not that much because, you know, like uh, we do by our own. 
before like when my sister in law was with me we celebrate both together but now we both have different schedules she do at our own house now now after my parents came because now i have my mom with me so we do ours and she do hers so like you know when you have like a, a backyard you can do in your home house too like you can invite people but we don't have a backyard yeah. to to call backyard so we can do this like even especially on festivals if you want to call people right feel nice that's how you celebrate more with the other people because for a few of my friends they don't know about the karvacho they don't celebrate so i could have called them right but you know i don't have that big place to call them otherwise like we feel for those things when you have friends you can call them over like recently i start i have like two friends now where i go to their houses they come to my house too now it's feel different like you have social life you can talk to them you can go to their house kids feel happy too that we are going to their house they feel excited that's nice now we have i have friends but that's the like the big house thing i was talking about like if we have big house we can invite people to like we can do birthdays or anniversaries whichever like we want to celebrate even we don't have to celebrate anything we can just call them over but you have to have a big house for that <laughs> that was antonina kuchiara and shiveta gupta next we want to reflect on the ways that family relationships cultural histories and traditions shape each other The clips in this section come from oral histories with Mary Tumi and Yingjo. Let's start with Mary Tumi. Has it been very important to you to impart your um Irish traditions and knowledge of your Irish origins to your children? Yes, very much so. I took Irish dancing so I used to even at that time I used to going to town going to Manhattan we t- went into Manhattan to take Irish dancing and it, this the, the Irish dancing teacher thought in a place above a bar and uh, and he would teach us a couple of steps and he would go down to the bar <laughs> <laughs> and make the older children teach us so um Did your husband enjoy set dancing as well? No. No. <laughs> he enjoyed me going. It was always good. Go ahead, go ahead. But he had to let feet he didn't enjoy any dancing and I love dancing. <laughs> I do line dancing and I uh, set dancing now. So, uh, but no, he he didn't he didn't I I all oh my girl and my children took all to Irish dancing. even my boys so my oldest boy um i put him into step dancing and there was no boys in his competition and at that time you would go to competitions to the fesh to the fashes or fashioners whatever you want to call them and um the first one he went to he won a medal and he said that's it i'm not going back to <laughs> it anymore so then the girls went and they went for a few years and then the youngest guy came along and i wanted him to to uh, to do some irish dancing and the only reason he went for me was that i said to him he was only about 7 and he started soccer when he was about 6 because all the others were doing so many things he used to say mommy you have to get me into something so <laughs> There was a German lady across the street here and um she said get him into soccer. So I did that and I told him how good he'd be in soccer if he played if he went and took Irish dancing. So 
he bought that for six months and he quit. <laughs> that wasn't too successful. But you know, um, they both dance a little bit. Like, particularly the oldest guy, he, when he was in grammar school, and he would like if they had a bit of a dance, he was one of the boys that would dance. So it, 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 so it helped off a little, little bit. <laughs> when, uh, when they were young and I had mm, a lot of control of them, I used to teach them Irish rebel songs. <laughs> Do they still enjoy singing them? Uh, every once in a while they will tell me about them. I could never listen to Christmas songs. Never. Until really a couple of years ago. And not, I mean, I was married many, many, many years and I still wouldn't listen to Christmas songs. So I think back and I think subconsciously I could never listen to country music or Irish music on my own. But I love both. And if I'm in the car, I'll, but I, I would never, but I start crying. <laughs> you like it with company. Yes, yeah, yeah. In China, I live in a period where all the traditions were kind of smashed and uh, not um, respected. So in a way, I grew up not having any traditions, if you will. The only time I can remember that, uh, that has tradition is when I was in middle school, I went into the countryside living with my grandparents and uh, they still have some traditions in the countryside, like celebrating New Year and how, how they spend like uh, weeks preparing the food and, uh, and uh, just uh, cleaning the house and, and, and make the food and enjoy the food afterwards visiting, visiting families and things like that. So, um, that, that was very much live in the countryside. And then my husband is also from a, more of a rural area where, where they have that kind of tradition. So when, when I visit his family, especially again during the uh, spring festivals, they will have that kind of tradition, um, the family together like making dumplings, <laughs> and, and then uh, there are some traditions related to that. But myself, growing up, really, I don't remember anything along those lines uh, in my family. Later years, when I go back to Beijing and visit my family, there was something I brought back from China to here, which I treasure a lot, which is actually not a Chinese thing. It's a, it's a wooden carved bear that my dad brought me from Moscow when I was like uh, maybe five years old. And uh, I think the reason I treasure that is, I think it's because kind of my relationship with my dad, anything he kind of gave me, I, I really, really like treasure that. Um, I, I think that may be another, probably necklace that he bought me when he went to Japan. Yeah, because no, he, he, he's like a scientist and he, he usually is not, uh, I wasn't with him that much, especially when I was little. He was in, in the Soviet Union for several years uh, when I was little.
So, so I kind of very much treasure the things that he brought me and the treasure the memories of things that we did together and things like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when I come here, I also didn't establish any traditions per se. When I, my daughter was young, we, I tried to celebrate like a regular American kind of a holidays like uh, Christmas, we'll buy a tree and we'll set it up. Or if it's a, if it's a her birthday, we'll we'll do a birthday party. So 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 it's re it's really I think a lot of those traditions are related to her activities and anything else. Even the Chinese New Year, I think I think my husband would probably would like to uh, celebrate more than than I do. I don't I just don't have that concept of. <laughs> Tradition celebration, <laughs> but I think I think it's a beautiful thing to to keep and to do, and yeah. Drawing from connections between family traditions and histories, we'll hear stories of family food traditions from Solange Baptiste and Deborah Monaco. From importing ingredients to altering family recipes, we can continue thinking about ways that traditions both remain and change. Let's listen. So can you talk about an early holiday that you had that was that was a special memory that you that you made in New York City? When I was in Loyalton, I share. So I bought food. So we all together, we had the food ready. The big challenges for me were the working with baking a cake. Because the flour in Haiti that come from France is different from the American flour. So I could, never could bake a cake from scratch because I could not, I didn't know exactly what the flour. So I, I had to buy whatever in the box and bake cake. So until I attended culinary school, so then I learned the pastry too, that the flowers so different, how to manipulate the flowers. So then, and I was so fortunate to live, when I left Laurelton to go to, to live in a big home. And I had a chance to entertain 60 people at a time, yes. And my first children, first communion, I could not really find a place I could to went uh, to do the party. I had the chance to take two rooms from this, set it up, rented chairs, table, and two beautiful settings. I don't miss my country. I remember my sister, she, when I was in Haiti before coming here, say, don't bother. People say, carry it. Everything is here for you in this country. You don't have to bring one thing. We find everything is here for us. Only thing the sometimes is different. I have to get special vanilla from the country because it's such a great difference. The warm, the barwanko, that only thing that I bring here. Otherwise, everything here. We have the barwanko here too, but it's just like being Haitian. <laughs> you have to get something from your country. And who taught you everything you know about cooking? And you know who taught you about carrying on these traditions? My father, um, yeah, we come from a mixed variety of uh, 
traditions. My mother, Jewish, my father, Italian. And my father's side was much more predominantly important in our family. So, you know, if someone says, you know, what are you? I'm Italian. I think of myself as an Italian. And, and as a little girl, I've always been very inquisitive. I always loved helping my father cook. I remember helping my grandmother cook. I was little, but even if not even helping, just sitting watching her cook, it would always fascinated me the way they chopped food and chopped onions and everything was just like perfect. Mm -hmm. So you would say just your father and your grandmother taught you everything? My mother did teach me things too. I have to give my mother credit as well. I mean, she did definitely teach me, but I think the more traditional type meals that we have because they're of Italian origin, it was definitely on my father's side. Are any of these people who taught you what you know still alive and able to watch you now continue to pass on their tradition that they taught you? Uh, unfortunately, my father has passed away, as you know, your grandfather. Um, and my my grandparents have passed away, but my, my uncles and aunt are still alive. And yes, we always share our our, you know, what we're doing and how much ingredients and if we're changing ingredients and we compare and we always discuss it, yes. Obviously, being your daughter, who are you teaching these traditional foods to? My brother's son, my nephew. When he comes to the house and, you know, if I'm doing Easter dinner, but definitely Thanksgiving dinner, because they're always here for Thanksgiving, because I always do that, he always helps. And, And we always talk about what we're making, why we're making it. We actually watch videotapes, as you know, of my mother and father cooking these meals and my father saying what he's made. And thank God for a video camera. It's fun to watch. And having listening to my father tell stories about his memory of why he's making something. Right. That, you know, something that sparks his memory from his mother or his grandmother. When making traditional foods that your family has passed down to you, how do you feel when you're doing that? I feel wonderful. I feel like they're surrounding me and they're guiding me and they're helping me and it makes me proud when people compliment me on on the foods that I make. It makes right. me say, oh, my th- my parents would be so proud of me. Uh-huh. And, you know, when people come to the house and they say, oh, that was so delicious and that was so delicious, you know, it, it's heartwarming. It's very heartwarming to know that I'm doing it the same way my father did it, the same way his mother did it, and the same way her mother did it. Right. So it's a good feeling. It's a wonderful feeling. Okay, and then now besides when making the foods, how about when you're eating the traditional foods, what do you think about? Oh, of course I think about them. When I was a little girl, I remember being in my grandmother's kitchen and she was making mussels with marinara sauce. And sometimes when I smell that smell, I think of my grandmother. It's it's crazy to think that at 53, I still think about my grandmother when I eat mussels, but only with tomato sauce. Right. Because that's what what she means. Exactly. Thank you for listening with us on the Queen's Memory Podcast. Visit our show notes blog at queensmemory.org. There you'll find full transcripts and written translations of this episode and more to listen to from our archives. We've also added reading recommendations from Queen's Public Library's collections, as well as resources from local community organizations. And if you want your stories to join those you heard today and become part of our archives, head to queensmemory.org forward slash participate or to our show notes to find out more. I'd like to thank our producer, Adrian Lara, and our composer, Elias Raven. 
A warm thank you to Rogarito for providing fundamental collaboration and support, and to Richard Lee and Molly Schwartz for offering their guidance and wisdom. Thanks also to the Queen's Public Library and the Institute of Museum and Library Services for hosting and funding this podcast. Finally, thank you to all the interviewees, interviewers, interns, and volunteers for collecting and sharing the stories that make this podcast possible. If you're listening with others and want to reflect together, here are some guiding questions. What rituals and celebrations do you practice? How and where did you learn them? In our next episode, we'll think about visits. Listen with us next time on the Queen's Memory Podcast.